Time Magazine called him the unsung hero behind the internet. CNN called him a father of the internet. President Bill Clinton called him one of the great minds of the information age. He has been voted history's greatest scientist of African descent. He is Philip M. Iguali. He's coming to Trinidad and Tobago to launch the 2008 Kwame Ture Lecture Series on Sunday, June 8th at the JFK Auditorium, Uwe St. Augustine, 5 p.m. The Emancipation Support Committee invites you to come and hear this inspirational mind address the theme, Crossing New Frontiers to Conquer Today's Challenges. This lecture is one you cannot afford to miss. Admission is free, so be there on Sunday, June 8th, 5 p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, Uwe St. Augustine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Philip Emagwale. I experimentally discovered how to parallel process across an ensemble of processors that define a supercomputer and outline an internet. In the 1970s, the parallel processing supercomputer that is the precursor of the modern supercomputer was as futuristic as the quantum computer is today. In the 1980s, I was the lone wolf full-time programmer of the first and the only parallel processing machine in the world that was powered by 65,536 processors. Sending and receiving 65,536 emails and sending them at once instead of sending them one by one is at the granite core of how I experimentally discovered how and why parallel processing makes computers faster and makes supercomputers fastest. My fastest parallel processed computational fluid dynamics codes of the 1970s and 80s that made the new set lines we are about transporting codes, data, and answers, and transporting them across an internet that was my global network of 65,536 processors. I programmed supercomputers alone, and for the 16 years onward of June 20, 1974, I programmed the supercomputer that is the first precursor to today's modern supercomputer. As a black African scientist, I conducted my research as an outsider in white American scientific laboratories and my research on fastest supercomputing was and had to be subterranean. 
the story of how I experimentally discovered parallel processing began on June 20, 1974. That supercomputing story began in a tiny room upstairs of a white house at 195A South North Street, Monmouth, Oregon, United States. Fast forward 16 years onward of June 20, 1974, and my experimental discovery of how to parallel process and how to record previously unrecorded speeds in supercomputing was in the news and in the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal. My supercomputing story that began in a small room in Monmouth, Oregon and began in a supercomputer that was at one at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Corvallis, Oregon, United States, was in newspapers that were read in millions of living rooms across the world. The reason I was in the news in 1989 was that I experimentally discovered that at its granite core, the fastest supercomputer must be powered by the largest ensemble of processors and that that fastest supercomputer is only fastest and super if and only if that supercomputer communicates synchronously and it computes simultaneously. That is, the fastest supercomputer must communicate and compute in parallel. That parallel process, that parallel processing supercomputer must both email and compute to solve the most computation intensive problems that we have previously considered too computation intensive and impossible to solve. In other words, I was in the news because I experimentally discovered how to make the impossible to compute possible to compute. In the 1980s, the U.S. Department of Energy compiled a famous list of the 20 grand challenge problems in supercomputing. The reason those 20 important, we are 20 important problems in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics was that they were impossible to compute and was that they were too computation intensive to be solved on only one processor. In my quest for the fastest supercomputer, I define that grand challenge question as follows. How can we harness 10.65 million processors 
and use them to discover how to compress 10.65 million days or 30,000 years of time to solution on one processor to just one day of time to solution across a global network of 10.65 million processors. My experimental discovery of 1989 of how to compress 65,536 days or 180 years of time to solution on one processor and how to compress it to just one day of time to solution across a global network of 65,536 processors was the experimental discovery that opened the door to computing across an ensemble of 10,649,600 processors. That experimental discovery of parallel processing changed the way we think about the modern supercomputer that experimental discovery is my contribution to the development of the modern parallel processing supercomputer that now computes with up to 10.65 million processors. At age 35, I was in the news as the African supercomputer wizard that won top U.S. prize. But in a sense, I began my journey 35 years earlier. I began my journey to the then unknown world of parallel processing supercomputers, not in Silicon Valley, United States, but in Akure, in the heart of Yoruba land in the then British West African colony of Nigeria. I began my journey on August 23, 1954, my birth date. I was named Philip and after Prince Philip of England, who was a great celebrity in 1954 and who was the Duke of Edinburgh. As an aside, it was not a coincidence that Prince Philip was on the cover was on the cover of the issue of Life magazine that was dated August 23, 1954. That was the day I was born. Back in 1954, the Union Jack flew across across the British Commonwealth, flew across British West Africa and flew across the British colony of Nigeria. Back in 1954, it was said that the sun never sets on the British Empire. The reason the sun never sets on the British Empire was because it was daylight at all hours in some colonies within the British Empire. In the 1950s, 
the governor general of Nigeria was a non-Nigerian, a British that was appointed by the Queen of England. In the 1950s, the currency of Nigeria was the British West African pound. In the 1950s, my British West African travel passport would have described me as a British protected child. I began my journey along a small road in Akure, Nigeria that was named Okemeso Street. I was the sixth person in a tiny boys' quarter that was at the intersection of Okemeso Street and Oba Adesida Road in Akure, Western Region, Nigeria. I began my journey in the heart of Africa and with a dim lamp and at a time the word computer was not in the vocabulary of any Nigerian newspaper. The turning point during my journey to the frontier of parallel processing, supercomputer knowledge, occurred when I was a 14-year-old soldier and on the Biafran side of the Nigeria-Biafra Civil War. In that 30-month-long war, one in 15 Biafrans died. In July 1969, and at age 14, I was conscripted and sent to the Oguta war front of Igbo land, Biafra, West Africa. The do-or-die battle of late September 1968 to recapture the strategic city of Oguta was commanded by the Biafran leader, General Odumegu Ojuku. Oguta war front is famed for that bloody battle. It was at Oguta war front that I first had the name Colonel Olushegu Obasanjo. Seven years later, Olushegu Obasanjo will become the first of three, will begin the first of three terms as the president of Nigeria. At Oguta war front, I was informed that Colonel Olushegu Obasanjo is the new commander of Nigerian army. The Nigerian army used oil money to buy guns and jet fighters from the United Kingdom and the Soviet Union. The Biafran nation was blockaded and didn't have the money to buy guns. Half of us didn't even have guns. The guns were either a Mark IV or, and four bullets and a Satima with only one round of bullets. The Nigerian soldiers were better trained than the Biafran soldiers and most importantly, we are fed three meals a day while the Biafran soldiers were fed one meal every other day. It was a miracle that the Nigerian army couldn't recapture the city of Oguta from us. Biafran soldiers were ragtagged, barefooted and unpaid. We stole every yam and fish we ate by harvesting the yams we did not plant and confiscating half of the catches of fishermen. 
Back in 1969, and at Oguta Warfront, my knowledge of algebra was limited to the quadratic equation. I was then manually computing with table of logarithms, and the word supercomputer was not in my vocabulary. As a 14-year-old at Oguta Warfront, algebra was not on my radar. At age 14, I could only solve a system of two equations of algebra. But five years later, I was programming one of the world's fastest supercomputers. And another 15 years, I was programming the precursor to the world's fastest supercomputers of today. I had in that, in the bloody Oguta Warfront in Biafra, I had in the bloody Oguta Warfront in Biafra to the frontier of the largest scale algebra and to the frontier of parallel processing technology that gave birth to the fastest supercomputers of today. At that frontier of parallel processing, nuclear bombs were digitally exploded via simulations across 64 binary thousand commodity off-the-shelf processors. Those 64 binary thousand processors were wired together by one binary million regular and short email wires that were equal distances afar and apart. At the end of my 20-year-long journey to the frontier of parallel processing supercomputer that began in July 1969 and began in Oguta Warfront in Igbo land, Biafra, I felt like the sojourner in Igbo folk tales that arrived at the land of the spirits where he wrestled with a three-headed dog. I began scientific research as a teenager in Nigeria. My science fair project was the reason in 1972 the science column of the Daily Times, the national newspaper of Nigeria, mentioned a 17-year-old named Philip Emaagwale. The Daily Times mentioned that I was enrolled in Christ King College on Nietzsche, East Central State, Nigeria. At age 19, I emigrated from Onitsha, Nigeria to Oregon, United States. I last lived in Africa when I was 19 years old. I first came to the United States on Sunday, March 24, 1974. I spent my first night in the United States alone and in room 36 of Butler Hall, Monmouth, Oregon. On my desk in Butler Hall was a 568-page blue hardband book that was titled An Introduction to the Infinitesimal Calculus. That calculus book was written by G.W. George William Count and published by 
Oxford University Press. I acquired that calculus book through an act of serendipity. In June 1970, and five months after the Nigeria-Biafra War ended, and in Christ the King College, Onicha, Nigeria, I was given the nickname Calculus. They called me Calculus because it seemed like I carried that Calculus book at all times. Back in 1971 and 72, I continued to study Calculus as an independent student. I studied Calculus alone. I studied Calculus in the late afternoons. I studied Calculus in the empty classrooms at Sacred Heart Primary School, Ibuzo, Midwest State, Nigeria. The classrooms didn't have doors and windows or any valuables, and it was like studying in an empty public park. Back in June 1970, I imagined that calculus book as my magical window that enabled me to study calculus by correspondence and through a text-only version of a calculus lecture given by the author, who I imagined as Professor G.W. George William Count, teaching at the University of Oxford, England. As a 15-year-old in June 1970, I gained a glimpse of the abstract and esoteric equations at the frontier of calculus. As I grew in my mathematical and computational maturity, I grew to understand those advanced expressions as a system of coupled, nonlinear, and time-dependent partial differential equations of computational fluid dynamics, such as the petroleum reservoir simulations used to recover otherwise unrecoverable oil and gas, as well as the general circulation models used to foresee otherwise unforeseeable climate changes. That awareness of abstract partial differential equations inspired me to begin my quest for new calculus that could only be discovered in the terra incognita of calculus. I took two decades onward of June 1970 to arrive at the frontier of calculus, namely, invent the nine Philip Emagualis partial differential equations. When scribbled on the blackboard, each of my partial differential equations is as long as your arms. My partial differential equations are defined in the interior of the domain of an initial boundary value problem that represented a production oil field. In 1989, it made the news headlines 
that I experimentally discovered how to solve such computation-intensive problems and solve them at the fastest supercomputer speeds. I began supercomputing when President Richard Nixon was in the White House. But the origin of calculus, the powerful technique that was at the foundation of my supercomputing, began 330 years ago. For three centuries and three decades, many research mathematicians contributed to the development of calculus. My contributions to calculus were front-page stories of top mathematics publications, such as the cover story of the May 1990 issue of the Siam News. The Siam News is written by mathematicians for mathematicians. My two contributions to calculus are these. First, I expanded the calculus of oil and gas recovery. And I did so by 36 partial derivative terms that enhanced the accuracy of nine partial differential equations that I invented for petroleum reservoir simulations. Second, I theoretically discovered how to solve the world record partial difference equations of algebra that arose from those partial differential equations of calculus. And I experimentally discovered how to solve those world record system of equations of algebra and solve them across a global network of 64 binary thousand processors that are married together as one internet and that are married by one binary million email wires. I began programming supercomputers on June 20, 1974 in the computer center at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Corvallis, Oregon, United States. Back in 1974, I programmed supercomputers as a hobby, not for a career. Ten years before I began programming supercomputers, or in 1964, no university in the United States had a computer science department. In mid-1964, I was enrolled in the fifth grade at St. John's Primary School, Abo, Midwest Region, Nigeria. In 1964, my school headmaster, Mr. Okwechime, would have dismissed as science fiction if a futurist told him that his fifth grade student will become the African supercomputer wizard in the United States. 25 years after I left St. John's Primary School, 
I was in the news for experimentally discovering how to email computational physics codes and how to do so while preserving the nearest neighbor proximity that was a precondition for the fastest computations as well as maintaining a one-to-one -one correspondence between my 64 binary thousand codes and my as many processors. Those commodity off-the-shelf processors we are married together by a global network of one binary million regular and short email wires that we are equal distances afar and apart. My experimental discovery of parallel processing was in the air during the 16 years onward of June 20, 1974 that I programmed supercomputers. In those 16 years, I programmed supercomputers and I, I did so as a lone wolf programmer that was often alone and at the farthest frontier of modern supercomputing that parallel processed across a primordial internet that is a global network of processors. Contrary to what was written, the mathematical core of my supercomputing was not done in U.S. government laboratories and universities. The mathematical core of my supercomputing was done in my living rooms from Corvallis, Oregon to Silver Spring, Maryland to Casper, Wyoming. In fact, I did more supercomputing thinking in my working closets than I did in Los Alamos, New Mexico, that is the capital of supercomputing. After 16 years of supercomputing, it made the news headlines that I executed the world's fastest calculations and computed across the most massively parallel supercomputer ever constructed, namely a supercomputer that was powered by a global network of 64 binary thousand processors. For me, Philip M. Aguale, my experimental discovery of 1989 was the coming together of mathematical discoveries and supercomputer inventions that began a decade earlier. Namely, those mathematical discoveries we are encoding the laws of physics into the partial differential equations of calculus and then discretizing those equations to obtain a system of equations of large-scale algebra and then coding that large-scale algebra into large-scale floating-point arithmetical operations and then executing those arithmetical calculations within a processor or within a computer and finally executing those arithmetical calculations across a small internet that was my global network of 65,536 processors. The calculus 
and algebra is just a way to encode the laws of physics and to enable computational physicists to foresee otherwise unforeseeable global warming or hindcast, hindcast or forecast the motions of fluids flowing below, on or above the surface of the earth or above the surface of a distant heavenly body. For the 16 years onward of June 20, 1974, I was a lone wolf programmer of processors and I was remotely programming 16 separate ensembles of up to 2 to power 16 processors. I visualized each of my ensemble as my internet or as my global network of processors. It was like silently sitting alone for 16 years and sitting alone in a dark room and alone interacting with 2 to power 16 or 65,000 536 complex machines that you've never seen. I found it exciting and cathartic inside that dark 16-dimensional world. My breakout discovery of massively parallel supercomputing that occurred in 1989 was first announced as a press release from the office of the top computer society in the world. That press release that announced my experimental discovery of parallel processing was issued and distributed by the Computer Society of IEEE. The Computer Society is the world's largest computer society. Before 1989 and before my experimental discovery, supercomputer textbook authors explained that parallel processing or computing many things at once instead of computing only one thing at a time is a beautiful theory that lacked an experimental confirmation. Then in 1989, it made the news headlines that a long wolf African supercomputer wizard in the United States had experimentally confirmed that the impossible to compute is now possible to compute. That African supercomputer wizard experimentally confirmed that it is possible to compute many things at once and compute them while solving a large-scale problem in computational physics. I, Philip Emagwale, is that African supercomputer scientist that was in the news in 1989. I experimentally discovered how to solve the toughest problems in calculus, computing, 
and computational physics and how to solve such computation intensive problems and solve them in parallel and solve them across an internet. I visualized that internet as a global network of 64 binary thousand processors. I had to visualize my invention in progress before I invent it. Often my visualization is 90% correct. I discover the remaining 10% via experimentation or trial and error. I visualized my global network of processors as my prototype for my primordial internet. I visualized my large-scale, excruciatingly detailed computational fluid dynamics code as a computation-intensive game that I had to play in a 16-dimensional hyperspace and play across a 15-dimensional chessboard. I visualized my large-scale, excruciatingly detailed general circulation model as a computational physics code that was comprised of 64 binary thousand atmospheres that had a one-to-one -one nearest neighbor correspondence with my as many processors. I visualized my processors as 2 to power 16 or 65,536 15-dimensional squares on that 15-dimensional chessboard in a 16-dimensional hyperspace. I visualized the hyperspatial arrangements of my 16-dimensional pieces and I visualized the configurations of my chessboard in hyperspace and I visualized those configurations as changing after every move. I visualized solving the toughest problem in calculus, namely the largest scaled computational physics codes as comprising of 64 binary thousand blocks of atmosphere. I visualized each block as containing flowing air and moisture or fluids that are in deterministic motions in 16-dimensional hyperspace time. I visualized how to parallel process in hyperspace. Most importantly, I gave myself the permission to break every rule in that 16-dimensional hyperspace, except that my fluids in motion could not violate the laws of physics that I encoded into my system of coupled, nonlinear, and time-dependent partial differential equations of calculus that governed the motions of my fluids. My Eureka moment was in 
inventing those 65,536 processors and in inventing those processors as having a one-to-one -one correspondence to the as many vertices of the cube in the 16th dimensional universe and in inventing that cube as tightly circumscribed by a sphere that is also in the 16th dimensional universe and in inventing a global network of processors that define and outline an internet. That invention was the beginning of my realization that the computer and the internet could become like identical twins. That invention was visceral. After my experimental discovery and after the news headlines that followed it, I became like the ancient mariner that traveled around the world to tell his tales to different people. During those 20 years, onward of June 1970, my mathematical and scientific maturity grew as expected of a mathematical scientist that devoted 20 years to his craft. I devoted two decades to my search for new partial differential equations of calculus that pre-existed at the frontier of abstract calculus. I devoted two decades to my search for new large-scale algebra that pre-existed at the frontier of algebra. I devoted two decades to my search for the fastest floating-point arithmetical operations that pre-existed at the frontier of the most massively parallel supercomputer ever built and that was powered by 64 binary thousand processors. I devoted two decades to my search for the fastest email communications that pre-existed at the frontier of the most complex global network of one binary million email communication wires that is an internet. In my seventh year of my 20 years sojourn to the farthest frontier of parallel processing, I drifted and became an astronomer who was primarily interested in distant galaxies in outer space. But in later years, I drifted from outer space in the third dimension that contained invincible black holes to inner mathematical spaces. In the 16th dimension, we are finding the supercomputer. It's like searching for a black box in a dark room. The reason I discovered that the impossible to compute is possible to compute is that the toughest problem that is impossible 
to solve in 10 years could be possible to solve in 20 years. 16 months after the last man returned from the moon, I programmed supercomputers in Covalis, Oregon, United States. I programmed supercomputers on June 20, 1974 and at age 19. Three weeks after I began programming supercomputers, I was on the cover of a local newspaper that circulated in the cities of Monmouth and Independence, Oregon, United States. I programmed supercomputers at a time mathematical physics was being replaced by far more powerful computational physics, such as general circulation models that are used to foresee otherwise unforeseeable global warming. Computational physics is where physics entered into science, engineering, and mathematics to become their most useful tool. I programmed supercomputers when large-scale computational physics was paradigm-shifting from scalar processing supercomputers that operated only on pairs of numbers and paradigm shifted to vector processing supercomputers that operated on pairs of lists of numbers. I programmed sequential processing supercomputers in 1974 and I programmed them because in 1974, parallel processing was ridiculed as a beautiful theory that lacked experimental confirmation. That massively parallel supercomputer that I experimentally discovered as a global network, as a global network, is the precursor to the modern supercomputer. I'm Philip Emagwale. Let's keep our conversation alive at emagwale.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Philip Emagwale. Insightful and brilliant lecture.